Let me, let me take you back. Just really uh, want to get straight in this morning. Uh, we're going to be we're launching a brand new conversation today called Grapes and Giants. And I want to start to actually take us back in history several thousand years. Several thousand years ago, there was a group of people called the Israelites. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. Okay, I, I haven't got time to kind of explain why they were. And all, but but th- this, this nation of people from Israel were God's chosen people. And they'd been living in the captivity of the Egyptians in Egypt for, for, for several generations. And that wasn't actually God's best. They certainly weren't thriving. We never thrive when we're living in any sort of captivity to anything or anybody. And uh, thankfully, God hadn't lost their phone number. And God reached out to them, to this nation of Israel, while they were still in captivity. And he promised them that he would cause them to break free from captivity and ultimately break through into a promised land, a land that God said was great, a land that God said flowed with milk and honey, which was very much metaphorical for it was just this beautiful uh, place that God had prepared and God was promising that he would take them from captivity into this promised land. And uh, I want to pick up the story this morning at a time when the Israelites, they'd left captivity. They'd left Egypt, but they hadn't yet entered the promised land. They'd actually broken free from captivity, but they hadn't yet experienced the breakthrough into the promised land. And they were living in this in-between physical space, but it was also very much metaphoric. It was referred to as the wilderness. They were in this, this period, this place called the wilderness, where yes, fantastic, they'd made some progress. They'd broken free from captivity, but they hadn't yet broken through into their promised land. And I wonder if some of you might be able to relate to that. If some of you maybe have an area or some areas where, hey, yes, God's been working. God's caused you to break free, break free from some patterns of thinking, maybe broken free from some some addictions, maybe broken free from uh, some uh, uh, relational struggles. But yet, having broken free, you haven't yet fully broken through into what you know and have, a, have an innate sense and, and maybe have read in, in God's word that he's got this, this better, this promised position, this promised land for you to come in. And you feel perhaps that you're in this, in this wilderness time. One of the big takeaways that we're going to get this morning, and it's kind of a spoiler alert, but, I, but I'll wheel back around to this, is the reality is, and we, if there's one thing we try to do well here at Elevate, it's just to be honest, okay? Where there are promises, there are almost always problems, Okay? We wouldn't be talking about breakthrough if there was nothing we needed to break through. That was worth the price of your giving buckets just then, wasn't it, hey? We wouldn't even need God and his help if there was nothing that we needed to break through. And for some of you, this is going to speak to you this morning because you are in the wilderness for some uh, aspect or maybe several aspects. Maybe it's a financial thing. I don't know. I'm going to pick up the story. In uh, a book of the Bible, it's the fourth book. It's called Numbers, although it's full of letters. That was a dad joke. 
I don't use dad jokes very often, but when I do, oh yeah, they're top shelf. So, and the leader of the, of the, of the pack was a guy named Moses. Moses kind of uh, became a rock star when God kind of gave him these Ten Commandments to go and take to the people. Probably many of you, even if you haven't grown up in church or don't know much about the Bible, maybe you've, you've at least heard of this guy Moses and maybe heard of the Ten Commandments. This is that guy, okay? He was leading this nation of Israel. He'd led them from captivity, broken free, but now he was still leading the nation of Israel in this wilderness time. And God spoke to Moses. And this is what God said. said, send men to scout out the country of Canaan that I am giving to the people of Israel. Now, underline that. These words, that I am giving to the people of Israel. Not that I'm considering giving. Not that I may give if you fulfill all of these conditions. This right here, right now, is a promise from God to the people of Israel that he is giving them this land called Canaan. And so God's instruction was to send one man from each, and there was 12 ancestral tribes, each one a tribe and true leader in the tribe. So that's what Moses did. Moses gathered up these 12 tribal leaders, and he sent them out to, to spy on this promised land, the land that God had said he will be giving them. When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, go up to the Negev and then into the hill country. Look the land over and see what it's like. Assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are there few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? And are there forests? Ha, and try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there, because this is the season for the first ripe grapes. Well, when they arrived at the Eskol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it on a single pole. That is one heck of a bunch of grapes. They also picked up some pomegranates and figs, and they named the place Eskol Valley Grape Cluster Valley because of the huge cluster of grapes they'd cut down there. After 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home, and they presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told their story of the trip. We went to the land you sent us, and oh, it sure does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. Uh, The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Um, their cities are huge and, and well fortified. Worse yet, uh, we saw descendants of the giant Anak Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. And if I was into old school preacher's jokes, I would say Vegemites. I, spread, I said if. Oh, I know, it wasn't funny the first time I heard that 35,000 years ago. And they hold the hill country. And the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Q Jordan. Ah, very good. Just know you're paying attention. Caleb interrupted. Called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. 
we can do it. But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. And they spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everyone we saw was huge. Why, we even saw a Nephilim giants, the Anak giants that came back from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down us on us as if we were grasshoppers. This is a land that God had promised them. And so when these 12 spies went to the promised land and saw giants, unanimously, there should have been a so what response. Giants. So what? But that's not what the majority of those spies did. Instead of looking at the promised land through the lens of it being already promised, they lost sight of God's promises. And ultimately, for an extensive period of time, they didn't enter the promised land. They'd seen the land and they went around spreading rumors among the people about why they can't enter the promised land. Some of you have got people in your life that do that to you. There's things that God's promised you. There's promises you've read in his word. And you've got some people in your life that see it as their job to play devil's advocate. Now, our team members here will tell you this. We don't allow anybody to play devil's advocate. He doesn't need our help. We want people who are Jesus' advocate, who are saying what God has promised. And let's push to that. Let's see God take us through into his promised land. But some of you have got some people that want to play devil's advocate. And my strong advice to you is turn their volume down in your world. And yes, they might be a family member. Yes, they might be a co-worker. Yes, they might be a next door neighbor. If, if, if you've got somebody who sees it as their job to tell you what God can't do and what God won't do, and who do you think you are believing that you, God's going to do that? And are you better than everyone else? You've got to turn their volume down. And some of them, you've got to flick the off switch. But then there's another situation where you might even have that internal dialogue going on in your own head. That you've got one voice in your head talking of God's promises, talking of the promised land. And then you've got this other voice, this voice of doubt, this voice of fear, this voice that's saying... It's never going to happen. You've been in this wilderness for too long. God's forgotten you. God's overlooked you. God, and and, and we've, got to, we've got to acknowledge that. And we've got to learn to actually train ourselves to think thoughts that line up with God's word, that line up with God's promises and move our internal dialogue over to there. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a letter, a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. And this letter was full of God's promises. And we're going to drill down into those promises. Whereas for the Israelites, many thousands of years ago, the the promised land was a physical place. These promises aren't so much about a physical place, but they are still very much about a position, 
a position that God wants us to move in, a, a sweet spot where we're living in the rich promises of God. And all of this is very intentionally comes from, if you look in the bottom left-hand corner of every single slide that you're going to see for, 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 for this entire year, you'll see the words Breakthrough 2014. And that really came from me in December, just praying and, and saying God to God, what do you got? What have you got for Elevate Church in 2014? We do not want to just run laps. We want to go forward. We want to go into the promised land individually and corporately. And that word breakthrough was the word that I really felt God gave us. And we've been teaching intentionally and we'll continue to teach intentionally. In fact, we had our teaching schedule mapped out for the entire year. We mapped that out mid-year. So June, July last year, we'd mapped out all of our topics and everything. And uh, in January, it, it, it didn't work. I just knew that that wasn't, gonna, that wasn't the direction God wanted us to take. And uh, so we scrapped it all, and we, and we started again and drafted up a whole pattern of teaching. And we started in January teaching about the new rules of resolution. And this was all about us moving into the position where God can cause the breakthrough. And if you haven't listened to those messages, get on our podcast and listen to them. We then talked for a few weeks about God's will. And hopefully brought some freedom that, 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 that there's some boundaries that God sets up. Yes, absolutely. And we, but within those boundaries, we can do whatever we want. And then now, oh, sorry, in our next conversation, we're going to be talking about this topic. I know he is, but what am I? See, there's a lot of stuff that we know God says about himself, but we also need to learn the stuff God says about us to make sure that our identity lines up with how he sees us, to rewire our brains. So some of you are going to have to turn up with a colander on your head and we'll rewire your brains. Stop thinking less of yourself and start lining up your identity and who you think of yourself as that directly matches who God sees and who God says you are. Right now, as much as God has some boundaries, heavenly boundaries that he wants us to stay within, there's actually some earthly boundaries that he wants us to break free from. You understand? It's a different type of boundary. And we're going to talk about that. Because the reality is, is where there are grapes, there are almost always giants. But that's not the end of the story. Because where there are giants, God promises that he will work with us and on our behalf to defeat those giants so that we can enter the land that he's promised. And Paul started talking about that. One of the most important things that Paul talked about in this letter, and Paul was in prison writing it, this letter to this church in Ephesus. And he said to them, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Not God might, not God will someday. God has, if you're 
are someone who has chosen to follow Jesus, to make him your Lord. Guess what? The divine exchange right there was that God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Wow. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Louis and I were in the UK and uh, we were, were staying with uh, some friends. They led a church just down near where Rob and Regan were both born, actually, in Surrey, and not too far from Guildford. And uh, we were staying there in the vicarage with the vicar and his family for a few days. And uh, I was going to be preaching in their church on the Sunday morning. And the Saturday we had free, so we decided to take a day trip up to Windsor Castle. Now, Windsor Castle is absolutely spectacular. From every vantage point, inside and out, it's gorgeous. And so we hadn't been there before, so we went for this uh, day trip with our friends um, and their son. They took their son with us. I think he was about 10 or 11 at the time, Joel. And uh, we went into Windsor Castle, and, and, you, and you can go in, into the castle, and you can do the tour. And so we were doing the tour, and we came across one of the attendants. Um, and Joel, being a you know, good, curious uh, boy... And never lose your curiosity, please. And I love this. He went up to this attendant and he said, uh, excuse me, um, uh, do, 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 do William and Harry, have they ever been here? And, uh, and he's like, like, now, you're not allowed to touch anything in Windsor Castle, right? It's look but don't touch. If you get touched, you get more than a hand smack, right? You, you're out of there. He, he says to the attendant, do Prince William and Prince Harry, have they ever been here? And the attendant says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they used to come here all the time. And he said to the attendant, were they allowed to touch the stuff? And the attendant says, absolutely. Because to Will and Harry, this was grandma's house. That's a bloody impressive house, I can tell you right now. He, he, that, that was his answer. This was grandma's house. They would ride tricycles up and down these pristinely polished uh, floors, they would crash into stuff in the corridor. And, you know, the attendants, they couldn't tell them off. <laughs> like, <clears throat> stupid princes. And you know what? William and Harry did absolutely nothing to earn the privilege of being able to run riot in Windsor Castle. They did nothing. Oh, Really? Yeah, but it was their divine, it was their, it was their inheritance. They were, they, were, they were born into their inheritance. And this is what Paul's trying to tell us. That the, the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is nothing that we do or did to deserve the divine inheritance, but we get it. We get it. We get the keys to the kingdom. Right then and right there, God gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. We could just stop right there. I reckon that's about as enough good news as any of us need. But the good news is that that's not the end of the good news. Paul kept writing. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power 
is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is Paul's prayer. It's his prayer to them. And 2,000 years later, that would be his prayer. And that's God's prayer to us right here, right now. About two years ago, uh, we, we came across the headlines that the price of electricity in uh, WA was going to keep going up year on year. And, uh, and it was just right at the tail end of the government offering some incentives for people to install solar power. So we did. We rang up one of the companies offering the solar power, and we had six solar panels put on our house and a 1.6 kilowatt inverter, whatever that is. And uh, they put that on the roof, and now those panels generate power into our home. What's interesting, our house was built in 1990. That power had been available on that roof since 1990. But it's only when we started to tap into that, that that power became useful and translated into us in our home. And that's very much what Paul is trying to get across to us here. What you need to understand, this is, this is like, you know, the big takeaway at no point in this prayer does Paul pray that, that people grow in power. Paul's prayer is that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that way we may know his incomparably great power. That power already exists. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead already exists. It's never going to increase. We don't have to increase in it. The person that's been following Jesus for 20 seconds has access to the same amount of power as the person that's been following Jesus for 20 years. We don't have to grow in power. What Paul's saying is, is we need to grow in our understanding of this power that we've got access to. That word power, actually, the Greek word is the word dunamis, which is where we get the same word dynamite. That's the sort of power that we've got access to. And Paul's prayer is that not that we get more power. We've already got it. But that we can actually understand it and access it and start to use it in our everyday life to have a greater awareness of what that means. Every two years, courtesy of my um, mobile phone plan, I get to upgrade my phone. And... Uh, I don't know, 18 months ago, Apple, God bless them, uh, came up with the iPhone 5. And so uh, through a little bit of um, opportunistic uh, purchasing behavior, uh, I was able to have this arrive at my doorstep before the uh, Apple store in the city had even opened its doors. And I was making phone calls on my iPhone 5 while people were still camping out on the sidewalk. <laughs> So this box arrives, and um, one of the things that Apple's known for is this great unboxing experience. Okay, it's a word now. So you open up the box, and uh, naturally enough, you get a phone. Okay, it's no great surprise. And that comes separate from the uh, wall charger, little kind of pluggy thing. And then 
the unboxing experience continues where you also discover that you have this power lead. Okay. Forgive me for stating the obvious. But like that, nothing's going to happen. No phone calls are going to be made. No text messages are going to be sent or received. Nothing is going to happen. I have access to all of the componentry. I have access to all of the power. It's already there. It was in the box when it left the the warehouse. But I need to make sure that I understand that power, that I understand what's in this box so that I can actually put it to use and do what it was designed to do. And it doesn't even stop there. Okay, so I plug it all in. I power up the phone. I put in the little SIM card. But even then, <laughs> this isn't a phone, by the way. Okay, it, it, calling it a phone these days is, is a little bit uh, of an understatement. This is actually a miniature computer that also happens to make phone calls and send text messages. But if you have one of these type devices, a smartphone of some description, and if all you ever do is make phone calls and send and receive text messages, then can I say, on behalf of the inventors and the manufacturers, you are a disgrace. You are insulting every research and development scent that went into creating this computer that fits in your pocket. And yet, because so many of us don't have a full comprehension, a full understanding of this power that we have access to, and what this power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and then seated him on the right, at the right hand of the Father. We don't have an understanding of that. We just use our lives for making phone calls and sending text messages when God has got so much more that he wants to do in us and through us. And that's why Paul wants us to unbox and put together and start playing with this thing, this dunamis power. See, Caleb, I love him. He's described as someone who had a different spirit. And when I get lined up against all the naysayers and the faithless and the negative and the critics, I want God to look at me and say, Mark Pomery has a different spirit. And I hope that you'd want that for yourself. A faith full, a faith filled, an optimistic, a bright, a, 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 a A spirit that looks at what could be, that looks at God's power and God's potential. Doesn't look at what hasn't happened, but looks at what God promises to make happen. And that was Caleb. Whilst everyone else was talking about how strong the giants were, Caleb was busy talking about how strong God is. Let's be those people. Let's be the Caleb. And last thing, because you thought, boy, that's pretty good for one morning. Well, Paul was just getting warmed up. I'll just finish with one thought and we're going to continue this conversation for the next two weeks. But Paul went on to write this. All this energy, or all this power issues 
from Jesus. <laughs> That's a let off right there. We don't have to sum up the power. It comes from Jesus to us and through us. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Stick that on your business card, Jesus. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. You think Tony Abbott's in charge? No, God's in charge. I pray and we are meant to pray for our leaders that God would use them, that they'll hear from him. We're meant to honor leaders. We're meant to speak well of them. I, I, I would encourage you to regularly uh, email some of your, your political leaders because I guarantee you the only people that, and sorry, email them and encourage them. Forgot to add that. They get lots of emails. Not many encouraging them. Not many saying, hey, I'm praying for you. It's super important because you know what? Because ultimately Jesus is in charge of galaxies, and governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. We would say it today, God's got this about everything. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all and has the final word on everything. Some of you like to get, have the last word. Sorry, that job's already been taken. Jesus gets to have the final word. Did you hear that, woman? Peter and I are going to be moving into a bachelor house together after today. It looks a lot like a dog kennel, but really, I assure you, it's going to be lavish on the inside. Um, Jesus is in charge of everything. And we have access to his authority. Regan May, one of our favorite people in the world, sitting here in a little pretty summer dress, very innocent and glowing in this kind of, you know, she, she has this very polite uh, British kind of accent and demeanor. Uh, Regan used to work as my personal assistant for a number of years. And uh, one day after working as my PA for a number of years, Regan walked into my office, sat down and she said, Mark, uh, I need to let you know something. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to be resigning. Uh, I feel that my time here is, is come to an end. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm, wasn't thrilled to hear that. Regan was fantastic in that role and, and we worked super well together, but you know, this sort of thing happens. And, uh, I said, okay, well, you know, is this, have you got an idea of what you're going to do next? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm going to become a prison officer in a uh, men's maximum security prison. Now, this is one of those moments in one's life where one does not know the appropriate response. And I didn't know whether to, you know, cough up my lunch, uh, slit my wrists, uh, roll on the floor laughing, thinking that that was a joke and now she's going to tell me what she's really going to do. But for the last X number of years, Regan has been working as a prison officer at a men's maximum security prison here in Perth. Now, Regan's, she's a tough chick, okay? But there she is, walking around this men's 
maximum security prison in her uh, beige, alluring uniform. Among these guys who, who have no neck, whose, whose you know, ear joins to their shoulder and who have you know, more ink on their bodies than all of the tattoo parlors in Perth have combined. And, and, and people that have done, committed unspeakable crimes. And she walks around telling them what to do. Telling them that their toilet's not clean enough. Telling them to pick up after them. Telling them when they're going to be locked in, locked out. Telling them where they can go and can't go. Telling them, telling them, telling them. And you know what? What's fascinating is they listen. They listen and they do what Regan does, uh, tells them to do. But why is that? Because Regan doesn't match them pound for pound on the weight bench. Regan's temper, well, no, probably temper might match them on, on, on a particular day. But, you know, Regan hasn't done the things that they are incarcerated for having done. And yet they submit to Regan's authority. But actually, we need to understand that they're not actually submitting to Regan's authority. They're submitting to the authority that's been given to Regan by the government. You understand? So for us, last thought, for us, for those of you that are in the wilderness, you've broken free from captivity, but you've yet to break through into your promised land. There are grapes, but there are also giants. Where there are promises, there are also problems. But what you need to understand, what we need to understand is number one, we have access to the same power that rose Jesus from the grave and seated him back where he belongs next to his old man, God, the father in heaven. And now we can act in his authority. That the giants, that the problems They will obey us, not because of any authority that we have in and of ourselves, but because of the fact that Jesus is ruler over everything. And not just for now, but forever. Everything. Look that word up in the Greek. It means everything. And Paul's prayer is that we will grow in our understanding of this that our eyes will be open more and more and more. So if you've been following Jesus for 20 minutes or 20 years, you have still got some room to grow in your awareness and understanding of this power that God has given you and given me. And so from this day, make that your prayer. God, help me understand more fully. Help me understand more. Open my eyes more. Sometimes we don't feel adequate enough. Great. Access his power. Speak in his authority. Speak to the giants. Remind them who's in charge. Some of you, you're hearing me talk about following Jesus and you actually haven't even made that step. And on your journey into breakthrough, you don't actually have a relationship with God. The good news for you is we're going to give you that opportunity right now. And we give people this opportunity every week to say, hey, my next step is to actually have a relationship with God. My next step is to actually make Jesus my Lord, to start following him. 
For those of you that haven't ever made that decision and you want to make that decision, now's your opportunity. And what I want you to do in a moment is just put your hand up. In a moment, put your hand up and you're saying, God, that's me. I want to take that next step this morning. I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to follow your son, Jesus. When I see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down and then we're going to pray. But we don't want to miss anybody. This is, this is the most important decision you will ever, ever, ever make. So right here, right now, for those of you that have never made that decision to say, yes, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to follow your son, Jesus. Put your hand up now. Say, yep, that's me. I'm making that next step. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray real quickly. I don't want to miss anybody. Just put your hand up. When you put your hand up, then you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Okay, guys, that's, I say this a lot. I'm going to keep saying it. It's an area for us as a church that we want to see breakthrough. We're seeing some. We want to see more. That we as a church are being used by God to see people come into relationship with him.